You're listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. Welcome into the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have Stephen Coombs. Stephen, welcome in. Thanks, Chase, for having me. I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to be here this morning and uh, talk some uh, sports physical therapy stuff. All right. Um, why don't you just tell people a little bit more about yourself, introduce yourself, um, kind of where you grew up, and a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I am from um, I'm from Everett, Washington, which is about 20 minutes north of Seattle. Um, lived out in the Pacific Northwest basically my whole entire life until I left for PT school, which was out in New Hampshire at Franklin Pierce University. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, from the Pacific Northwest, went out to New England for PT school, out to the Midwest uh, to Chicago for residency, and now back here in, uh, in Seattle doing uh, pediatric sports medicine and outpatient private practice. Okay. And what, you know, what was the catalyst that made you or made you realize that you wanted to do sports PT? Yeah. Yeah. So I think all of that has to start back in high school, which is probably where a lot of our stories start. Um, I was really into cross country and track and field. I was a competitive runner in high school. And it was during that time that I got really into reading books about training uh, for cross country and track, I was reading Jack Daniels and Arthur Lydiard and, and those guys and really just got interested in biomechanics and, and exercise physiology. And I was like, well, what do I, I want to do something with this with my life. Like I re- like I was that weird 17 year old kid that was reading these, you know, exercise physiology books. And I was like, I like this. I enjoy this. I want to do something with this. But I didn't know what that was at that time. And to be completely honest, like I never had physical therapy as a kid growing up. I've actually never been to physical therapy for myself. Um, But I think one, I don't even know who this was, but at some point someone was like, huh, well, you should be a physical therapist. And like, without really doing too much thinking about it, I was just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I think physical therapists work with athletes, so I should become a physical therapist. And and that was the that was the spark that really led me down this road. And so I went to undergrad um, at Seattle Pacific University, which is a, a small school here in Seattle. And and I was like, well, OK, I'm, I'm going to be a pre-physical therapy major. I'm going to do human biology and, and just kind of go from there. Um, I, during that time, I got a job as a physical therapy aide. Um, at an outpatient private practice, which is actually coincidentally the place that I am currently working at, which is kind of a cool full circle thing. But it was during that time, that was my first real exposure to physical therapy. Now, this isn't, this isn't any sports physical therapy at this time. This is just purely outpatient, um, outpatient orthopedics. And I, and I loved it. It was one of those things where I went to work every day and I was like, this is so cool. Like I, I love my coworkers. I, I love seeing what they're doing for people. I love working with the patients. 
it was just one of those things where it was, it was the confirmation, like, yeah, I could see myself doing this for the rest of my life. And so as college went on, I, I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, this confirmation that this is what I want to do. Now, unfortunately, during that time, I was not a very good student. I, I acted like I was just entitled to get into physical therapy school. Like it was my, my God given right. And that was, uh, that was kind of detrimental. So by the end of my senior year, I had applied to three PT schools out here. I applied to UW, George Fox, and Pacific University, all PT schools in, here in the Pacific Northwest, and just you know got rejected probably within 30 seconds of submitting my application because I just, I didn't have, I only had outpatient orthopedic uh, observation hours. I did, I just, I had bad grades. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a good application. And so I wanted to keep doing this. Like I wanted to keep pursuing this path. So that really led me into the next two years. I got more experience working as an aide. Um, I got my CSCS and I started volunteering, uh, as an assistant cross country and track and field coach during that time. And I loved it. That was one of those things where I kind of, I kind of reset and said, wow, this is what, this is what I really love. I love working with athletes. Like I love being a coach. I love being a part of a team. This is, this is why I wanted to do this in the first place. And so I, I did that for two years. And then I, uh, I applied to PT school again. I applied to about 16 programs. Uh, I got 14 rejections and I got two waitlist offers and I, um, and so I, you know, I went along and was like, oh, my odds at this point aren't very good. The year kept rolling on. I didn't hear back from any of my waitlist schools. June rolled around and I was like, well, I got to figure something else out at this point because I'm not getting into PT school. I'm waiting. It's June and I'm waiting on two waitlist offers and that's just probably not going to happen. And so I, I was like, well, I got to pivot. I got to figure out, you know, obviously this was on me. I didn't, I didn't deliver in undergrad. I didn't get the grades that I should have. And that's all right. I guess I have to move on. And I decided that I was going to become, because I, the other thing that I really liked about coaching is I like just working with the kids. So I was like, well, I'll become a high school biology teacher. Like I like being in kind of this, this teacher mentor role for people. So I'm just going to, I'll pivot and I'll get my master's in teaching and, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to coach cross country and track at the high school level. And so August rolls around and I, I'm uh, just, I just got hired as the head cross country and track coach at, um, at the school I was at. And that very same day, the first day that I was coaching, this was like August 28, maybe 18th. Uh, I got the, I got the call from Franklin Pierce university and they're like, Hey, we have a spot for you. And I was like, well, well, I already figured it. I already figured my life out. Like, thank you, but I'm, I'm good. I'm going to become a, I'm, I'm applying to masters in teaching programs. I I'm, I'm a cross country coach. Like this is my life now. And the lady was like, well, slow your roll there, Buck. Like, you know, well, let me give you a day. And mind you, I'm in Seattle, Washington. I've never been east of Phoenix, Arizona at this point. 
and I am supposed to move to New England. And I'm like, I, that's no way that's going to happen. She's like, you have a week, like school starts next Monday and it's a Monday. I was like, no way that's going to happen. But long story short, uh, I, you know, talked to my parents, both my parents were like, no, you got to do this. Like, this is your, this is your calling. Like you have to follow this. And so I, so I did. And then just hopped on a plane a couple days later, moved to, uh, moved to New Hampshire, stayed in an Airbnb for, for a couple weeks until I figured everything out. And then during that time, when I was in, while I was in PT school, I was like, okay, kind of reset. Like, what do I want to do now? And I had this Tom Brady mentality, man. I was like, I am the last, I was the last person to get picked out of these other 55 people. Like I am going to go into school and I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and I'm going to literally just outwork every single person that is in this room. And, and I did, and I committed to that. And that really helped because when it was time to kind of start deciding what I wanted to do after PT school, I realized I wanted to work with athletes. Like that's what, that was the original spark. And that was, you know, what I did between undergrad and PT school. And so that led me into this, this journey of, Hey, I want to keep doing this. This is what I love doing. I want to, I want to go back to kind of my roots. And that's what led me into sports PT. Gotcha. And so you kind of left off at like you, you know, finished PT school and then you said you want to continue to work with athletes. Um, so what made you choose um, University of Illinois Champaign's residency in particular? Yeah. Um, so I was at, so I was actually at University of Illinois, Chicago. So, so University of Illinois, three different branches. And so I was at, um, I was at the Chicago campus, um, which is its own division one university out there. And the, you know, the choice of choosing residency should really be based on what your career goals are. When you, when you look at residency programs, what you really want to be looking at is, hey, what's my dream job? Like, where would I, what do I want to do with the rest of my life that I, at least what I think I want to do with the rest of my life? You should, that's, that's the approach that you should take. So when I was looking at programs, I said, well, what do I want to do? Ideally, I want to work in Division One athletics. That's that's my goal. So I want to do I want a program that's going to um, that's going to allow me a lot of Division One experience. But I also want to teach. Like I said, I was going to be a I was going to be a high school biology teacher. And I think that I think that that really like th that choice wasn't just random. I think that that's really a part of what I want to do, a part of my personality and and what I like doing is, is working with students and kind of serving in this teacher mentor role. So I also said, well, I need to, I want a program that's going to offer me teaching experience. I want, uh, ideally in the future here, I want to be working at a division one university and be, uh, you know, be an adjunct or associate professor with a PT program. So as I was looking at programs, I was, you know, I basically spent my whole entire second year of PT school just researching programs. Uh, I, there were several classes where I was sitting in the back row uh, just on the, the master, you know, residency list kind of going through and uh, researching programs. And I basically spent a whole entire year, all of my second year of PT school was spent just looking at different programs. And it came down to the University of Illinois Chicago had everything that I wanted as far as I wanted D1 experience, had that, tons of that. 
it had a lot of teaching experience. I'm thinking about maybe doing a PhD at some point here and you get 20 credits that you can use towards a PhD. So all of that was just like, oh, this made 100% like total sense. So I had reached out to uh, Justin Payette, who's the residency director back in the uh, August before I applied and, and talked with him. And that was like the that was the thing that put me over the edge. I was like, yeah, this is it. This is where I want to be. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's my biggest advice to people when you're looking at residency programs, you want to be looking at, Hey, where do you want to be in 10 to 15 years? Because this should be a, this should almost be a fast track to get you there. You should be getting these experiences now so that you can make yourself more valuable when you're, when you're looking for programs or when you're looking for your, you know, your career, um, like end goal. Um, so besides like the D1 experience and all the other fat, like other, you know, pluses that you found in your program, um, at, for your residency program, what's something that you experienced that you don't know you could have experienced without it? I know besides the obvious, like D1 experience and like teaching, teaching, uh, opportunities, is there anything else that you think that can only come with the residency program? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the big things that comes with residency. And I think you can get this in other places, but it really is mentorship. You, you finish PT school, like, you know, other people have said this, you finish PT school as a generalist, you know, you have, you're, you're, you're good at a little bit of everything. And you, in residency, it's, it's training you to be great in one thing. And one of the ways to do that is by, really advancing your clinical practice in a way that, you know, kind of requires a fair amount of, of criticism, to be honest. I mean, you know, you, you do your clinicals in PT school and you do the, um, you do the little checklist. I can't even remember what it's called anymore. The little evaluation thing that you do at the end of the CPI. Thank you. I've, I've blocked that out of my memory because that's just such a Ter- terrible memories. Um, but you do your CPI and everyone's like, oh yeah, you're, you know, beyond entry level, blah, 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 like all of these things. And it's like, that doesn't really, at the end of the day, I don't know if that really means a whole lot because, you know, you're the, the capacity in which you're working as a student versus, you know, the level of criticism that you get as a resident, like that's really the time where you are, you have one-on-one time with, with, a, with a mentor you're getting, you know, you're getting that, that feedback that really advances your clinical practice. Like, not like, oh, yeah, you're doing good. Maybe like, try this. It's like, hey, why did you do this? What was your reasoning? Why did you choose to do this over this? And that's, that's a valuable thing. Like, that's really how you I think that's how you become to that, you know, quote, unquote, beyond entry level is, is by receiving some of that criticism and feedback from, from people who have, who have a lot of experience. So um, I would say mentorship is huge. And you, when you're looking at residency programs, you should be putting a ton of stock into reading the person that is going to, or the people that are going to be your mentors and, and, and really asking yourself, Hey, do, are, am I going to get along with these people? Are these people going to have, do they have the personality that's going to match with mine to help me grow? And am I going to be able to take criticism from these people? And am I going to be able to, you know, really be a good listener? And I think that is, that's huge that you should really be putting a ton of stock into that 
when you're looking at residency programs. And that's why I always tell people when you're, if you're deciding residency, like if that's the path you're going to go, you should reach out to programs and you should be having, you should be having talks with program directors and, and faculty. And cause you really need to like, you need to make an assessment before you apply. Hey, do I get along with these people? Can I see myself here? Do, do is, is this going to be a good working relationship? Because that's a ton of what residency is like those mentor hours honestly might be the most important thing that you get out of residency. So when you're choosing a residency program, also put a lot of a lot of value in, hey, is is this person going to be a good mentor for me? Because that's that's where you're going to get all your growth during that year. Right. And I know everyone's like assessment of what might be right for mentors might be different person to person. But what are some of the questions or things that you looked for in particular um, that other people might kind of carry over and when looking for their own mentors? Yeah. So that's a good question. And I think that's so, I think that's so dependent on the person. So I like, I know for my, for my personality, I like having, like, I would rather people tell me when I'm wrong and, and give me, give me honest feedback than just give compliments. So, you know, when you're looking, when you're making assessments of, okay, where do I want to go when I, you know, when I'm starting to look for these residency programs, it's, it's, it's hard to, to just figure it out maybe with one interview or one, um, one session with a person like with a, with a program faculty, but you, I mean, for me, it was looking for, can I, can I see myself like really just getting honest advice from this person? Is this person a straight shooter? Do they feel like, you know, do they feel like they're going to be honest with me? Do they, um, do they feel like they're just going to be blunt? And that, that's just like a thing that you have to read. Like that's kind of a read the room thing in your ability to, to assess other people, you know, you can tell after one meeting with someone like, Hey, this person, this person might be a good fit for me or, or might not be a good fit for me. The other thing is, is talking to other people who have gone through the program before. Now with UIC, it was harder because I was the second resident through that sports residency program. So there was only one person ahead of me. And on interview day, like I did get to talk to the former resident and, that was the other thing where I kind of got that confirmation. Like, yeah, based on what she's telling me, it seems like this is a program where they do, they like, they keep you honest and they like their first and foremost goal is to make sure that you leave here a very, a very high level clinician. And so it's hard. I mean, it really is. It's not like you can just straight up ask someone, you can be like, Hey, what's your mentorship style? But you know, I think that it's not, it's a, it's a thing where you kind of just have to be able to read people and it, 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 that's not easy. And that's why you really should be looking at a whole variety of programs so that you can figure out, oh yeah, this person, like I really got along with this person. Like in our one phone call that we had, I really saw myself like spending a whole entire year with this person and receiving feedback from this person. So again, that's why it's very important to reach out to programs beforehand and make those connections early and make those assessments. Cause the last thing you want to be doing is spending 13 months with a person that is not like your cup of tea and is just going to, you know, butt heads with you the whole time and in a negative way for you. Right. That, that completely makes sense. 
Um, and now that you're out of residency and you're kind of working, you know, you're back kind of where you started originally. As a new grad, it's kind of difficult to always manage, you know, staying up to date with evidence and making sure that you're providing quality care with like the most current literature. So what's one thing that you do to kind of stay balanced with work and literature? Because I know with residencies, it's kind of you're reading literature all the time. But when you're outside of that, how do you kind of find the fine line of making sure you read enough literature? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So one of the things that I like to do is I have a little section on my iPhone and my in my notes app where I, if I have a question about something, like if I'm talking to someone about something, then I, and I, and I like, oh, okay, well, you should do this because of this. And then in my brain, I'm like, well, should they be doing this because of this? Then I'll write that down and I'll go, you know, I'll go and try to find the answer to that by appraising the research. So, um, you know, I think it's helpful for, for you, especially as a young clinician, like, you should be questioning a lot of what you do. And I think it's easy to get molded by the people around you to form habits. And I think habits are, you know, the, the death of our profession almost, because if we get too much into, you know, doing things without actually critically thinking about it, then, you know, then we're not really serving our patients in the, in the highest capacity that we can. So, you know, I, I like doing things like, okay, if I say something and I'm curious about that question, I'm, and I need to write it down and then I'll, you know, spend a couple, couple mornings a week going through and just l- looking on, um, on databases and, and trying to find, okay, well, you know, how do I answer this question? Where's the literature, you know, does it support this or is there a better option? And if, you know, if I go and I find a better option for, you know, X intervention, then I'll go with, you know, the next session I have with that patient, I'll pivot and, you know, I'll try this new thing. And I think that's really how growth comes from that constant questioning. Like you really should be, you never should be comfortable with what you do. You should always kind of have that, that curious mind to be like, okay, well, you know, is this the best thing for this person or is there a better intervention? That's, that's really how you're going to, you know, again, kind of advance yourself as a clinician is, is just making sure that you're always, always questioning what you do. Now you can probably overdo that, right? Like you don't want to, you don't want to be like too unconfident. Like there's this nice balance of like being very confident in what you do but always keeping an open mind to like, okay, why am I doing this? Or is there something better? Other people have said this to Twitter and mobilize. Like I, I don't need to go down that, uh, that path. Cause I feel like, you know, my colleagues before me have already mentioned that, but those are two good resources. Um, and yeah, I, just, I think it's just, you know, it's just questioning yourself in a, in a good way and, and making sure that you are, you're always open to new ideas and new treatment methods and not getting stuck in one thing and, and always, you know, just having these kind of almost short-term goals of, okay, this is, I want to learn this now. So I'm going to start learning more about this and, um, and yeah. So another kind of shifting topics, what's some advice that you would have for anybody that wants to, um, be involved in a larger sports medicine team and they're not, you know, they're not working at a facility that, is integrated with the sports medicine team. Uh, what's some advice that you would have to try to get involved with, you know, athletic trainers or physicians or anything like that? Yeah, I think the first, the first and foremost, it's just reaching out and and just kind of doing this, you know, like reaching out with someone and, and having a conversation and, uh, you know, networking is always 
is always a great way to just start whatever journey you're going to go on. Always network. The number one thing people love to talk about is themselves, right? Like you can go and and you can reach out to anyone and say, you know, go on LinkedIn and find some like, you know, do a quick search for someone and send them a message and say, hey, like, I really think what you're doing is cool. Like there's no, there's nothing more that's an ego boost for someone, for someone to reach out to you and be like, hey, I kind of want to be like you. And that person's like, oh, that's that's awesome. Cool. Like, yeah, I would love to talk about myself and, and, you know, and also, but be helpful, you know, like we sports medicine is such a, it's, it's, it's competitive, especially when you want to do it at the collegiate and pro level. Right. I mean, it's, you know, there's very few jobs out there. So, you know, for, for those of us who have had some experience in that, and, you know, that's our, that's our end goal and passion that we realize that it's hard. And so being able to help people out is also kind of part of that stewardship of what we do and making sure that, you know, we're kind of, we're paying it forward and making sure that, Hey, we're, we're setting the next, the next group up for success as well. So, um, so I'd say reach out to people first and foremost, I know that COVID probably is, you know, throwing a, a little bit of a wrench in being able to um, do shadowing, but yeah, always reach out and say, Hey, can I come and shadow you? Can I come and help out? Um, you know, volunteering for like, you know, if, if maybe some smaller schools need help for like preseason uh, physical screenings, like stuff like that, like you, you just never know what opportunities are going to come up. So just being really good about, about networking and, and, and asking good questions. And always the other thing is just being available when the time comes up. Cause if there is, you know, an opportunity that, you know, Hey, we need help with someone volunteering for this, or we need help in the, you know, the training room on this day. Like it's just, it's, if you're the best thing that you can do is be available. So, um, so I think, yeah, just really just reaching out to people is, is the, is the biggest thing that you can do right now. Um, and to set yourself up for success in the future. Yeah, that stewardship that you mentioned is is probably the the reason this podcast, like I've enjoyed this podcast so much, is because there's people that are, you know, in season working multiple, you know, working long, long hours, and they kind of take even just 30 minutes to kind of just chat with me to help like, you know, reach out to other people. And that's been like one of the most rewarding things about doing this podcast is that people are willing to just give back so freely. And so like, you know, come and take time to read the questions beforehand and be prepared, um, such as you. Um, so what makes a great sports PT to you? It's, I know that's a very broad, vague and ambiguous question, but what are some characteristics of a good sports PT to you? I think one of the things that residency taught me was a great sports PT knows their role and sticks to that. So when we're talking about, you know, really being a part of a sports medicine team, you need to put a huge emphasis on the fact that it is a team. Like you are one person with a group of other people that all serve a very important role like yourself. So, you know, in, in division one sports medicine, for example, you have your athletic trainers and you have physical therapists and physicians and strength coaches and nutritionists and, and administrators and coaches. And that all of those people are on one team to serve the student athlete. And so when you're a PT on that team, you need to, you need to know, you need to know your role. You need to know what you do and you need to, you need to stick to that role. 
And what we do as PTs in at least division one sports medicine, our job is rehab. So, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to what we're supposed to be doing to help people out, we need to be really good rehab professionals and, you know, having really good um, rehab programs from, you know, day one post-op all the way through, you know, that return to sport testing. Um, the other thing is communication, though, because you are on a team. So you need to be a good communicator. You need to always be approaching the people around you with a level of humility and openness. I think that one of the things that we kind of can get accused of as PTs, you know, especially like PTs and athletic trainers is like us being know-it-alls and, you know, being like, oh yeah, well we have our DPT, you know, like that's not how it works though. Like if you spend, if you spend five minutes with an athletic trainer, you'll realize like all the great work that they do and that, you know, athletic trainers know a ton of stuff that, that really keeps the athlete going. Like they are, you cannot, you cannot put a value on the importance of an athletic trainer on a sports medicine team. But you also, but so your role as a PT, like you need to be a good communicator with that person. So if you're seeing this person for rehab, then you should be really diligent about reaching out and giving updates and letting them know how things are going. You need to be able to reach out to the strength coaches if they're like, hey, you know, what should so-and-so be doing this? Or what have you noticed with, you know, so-and-so as far as how they've been doing in rehab? Like, you need to be a good communicator with everyone on the team because you play an important role in making sure that this person gets back from whether it's day one post-op or, you know, kind of a subacute chronic injury. You need to get them back to play as soon as possible. And, and doing that requires really good communication. So I, I would say like the number one skill that you can have is being is being a good communicator because there's so much value in that when you're talking about teamwork. And then just being humble. You know, you need to again, you need to approach all of these situations with a very, a very large amount of humility. Like you do not know everything. You are not you 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 know, you know, some things and you're really good at the things that, you know, but you, you're just, you're part of the team. You know, we're all, we're all doing our job to make sure that the athlete is getting back, back to the sport as soon and as safely as possible. But the only way that that happens and the way that it happens at the best sports medicine institutes in this country is because of good communication and, and good teamwork and, and everyone's being humble and, and staying in their lane. Right. Um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what you're currently doing. So right now, you, just to make sure I'm correct, you're the head of the Youth Athlete Rehab Program. Um, why don't you tell a little bit, you know, talk a little bit more about what that kind of entails? Yeah. So um, like I said, I'm working at the with the same clinic that I worked at when I was an undergrad, which is a really cool thing for me because I, I loved working there. Um, over the summer, my uh, former boss and now current boss, um, I had reached out to him and said that I was coming back to the Seattle area and kind of, you know, trying to figure out what, I, what my next my next steps were here. And he told me that they were uh, they were in the process of starting this youth rehab uh, program. And so you know, where our clinic is situated in the northeastern part of Seattle, we have we were in a very uh, uh, family-oriented neighborhood with a ton of schools and, and see a lot of these youth athletes. 
And we know that, you know, youth athletes, one of the most important things just with athletes in general, actually, is making sure that, you know, we're providing good rehab, but also we're making good decisions as far as return to play processes and, um, and making sure that we're using, you know, good um, tools to make sure that we are getting these people back to play again, as fast, but as safely as possible. So, um, so my role is basically is that is I, I've, I'm not the only person at my clinic who sees our, our, our youth athletes, but um, I see a, a very large handful of, of youth athletes. And, and my job is really that it's to make sure that I, you know, I rehab them from again, day one injury all the way up through that return to play, um, that return to play process and, and helping them make decisions as far as, okay, is the, are you safe to return to play? And is this, you know, are you ready to get back to doing what you want to do? So um, so yeah, that's a, just a little bit about what I'm currently doing. And so I kind of wanted to backtrack. So you're, you're doing this currently, um, and I wanted to backtrack a little bit more to your residency, kind of walk us through like a day in the life of what it's like to be a university of Illinois, Chicago sports resident on a typical day. Cause I know days, day to day varies. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I'll see what I can do to kind of put days together so that you could get a good, a good view of what the day looks like. So part one of the, uh, one of the really cool things about the UIC sports residency is that you get to do a uh, semester long strength and conditioning internship with the student athletes at the university. So you get, you know, besides for your residency education, you get division one strength and conditioning um, experience, which is also like a really cool thing. I think that's really helpful for someone who is, um, you know, considering and wanting to go into division one athletics, having that experience to actually be in the weight room with the student athletes and getting to hang out with the team. I got to hang out with uh, shout out to UIC women's softball. Those girls are absolutely amazing. Um, and so I got to spend a semester with them in the weight room, which was awesome. So all that to say is the the mornings would start off pretty early. I think that I would get to uh, campus around five forty five, and I would see, um, or I would I would be doing my strength conditioning internship for uh, for about like an hour and a half in the mornings, and then I would hop on my bike and head over to the hospital campus, and I would go treat patients there from like. 7.30 to 4 p.m. And then I would ride my bike back over to the undergrad campus, back over to the um, the athletic complex. And then I would go work in the athletic training room uh, with the athletic trainers and the student athletes for a couple hours and also do game coverage. Um, so, I mean, you could have days where you would, you know, you would leave at, you'd leave your apartment at 5 15 in the morning and you would get home at like 9 p.m <laughs> that was and that was like that was a lot of days actually um which other people have said too before myself like that's you know that's a pretty that's a pretty common thing when you do a sports residency is you're you know like you're a part of it you're 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 there for every single aspect so you're there from the the moment the sun rises in the morning till like way after the sun sets also in that time you have didactics. So like we would have, um, we'd have about two hours a week of didactics where it was like a little bit of a, like a lecture lab combo on, on different, you know, body regions and injuries. Um, 
teaching was also thrown in there. So like, you know, you would, maybe you would get out of the clinic early and you would go teach for, you know, three hours or be a lab assistant for kinesiology or biophysics. Um, so really like every day looked different, like every like Monday through Friday, there was something completely different going on. But you, basically all that to say is you were there for a very long period of time. And then you would, uh, you know, on the weekends, you're at you're at campus covering practices and and games with the athletic training staff. So, uh, you know, it, a, a day and then you're doing research on top of that. That's another component of the UIC sports residency is is you have to complete a, a research project that you submit to um, that you submit to a conference. So like you're just go, 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 go all the time, which is fine. Like, you know, like you should you should choose residency for it to be, you know, what you want to do in the future. And, and if you're, if you chose the right program, it's crazy busy. And there are times where you're stressed out, but man, are you just having a ton of fun the whole entire time that you're doing it? So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's uh, every single day in residency looked completely different from the next. Right. And so one last question before I get you out of here. So you've given a lot of great advice regarding mentorship, re- regarding, you know, networking and regarding um, staying up to date with evidence. But do you have any overarching advice for anybody that wants to get into sports PT at any level, whether it be outpatient, collegiate sports, professional sports, and then also if they're at any level, whether it be an undergraduate still or in PT school or, you know, early career professionals? Um, yeah, this will go back to something that we just, we talked about not too long ago, network, 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 network. Like the number one thing that you can be doing is, is making connections and, and really getting your name out there. Like that's the biggest thing that you can do for yourself. So reach out to people, ask questions, ask to shadow Uh, ask for a zoom call, ask to go out to coffee if you can, you know, like just learn as much as you can right now, learn as much as you possibly can, and then take that information, synthesize it, and then, you know, make decisions as far as like, oh yeah, I liked this, or I didn't like this, or, you know, I liked what this person did and I could see myself doing that. So, you know, the other thing is when you network with someone, you should always be asking the question at the end, like, Hey, do you have anyone that you would also recommend me talking to or any other like great people that have helped you along your route? Because when you network with someone like the one of the things that you should really be doing is trying to, you know, kind of like get the ball rolling, like moving down the road. So, you know, always, always ask, you know, who who they learned from and, you know, any people that they would recommend talking to. Because, again, in this field, it is so it's small, like it's. It's not, uh, it's not just general orthopedics. It's not neuro. It's not peds. Like this is, this is very competitive and it's very small and it's very tight knit. So people always know people and we're, uh, we're, you know, we're pretty, we're a pretty tight knit group of people. So there's a very good chance that if you, you know, if you talk to someone, they will know someone that they can also get you in contact with. So I think that you know, making sure that you are you're constantly networking, you're available, you're helping out. You know, that's one of the other things about being a sports PT is like when you're in the athletic training room, for example, you are you're folding laundry and you're wiping down tables like you're you are not higher than anyone else in that room. Like 
when you are there, you are there to work and you are there to be and you know, assist people and, and to, you know, there's no single job that is too small. And so you should always take that approach too when you're asking to like reach out to when you're reaching out and asking for, you know, opportunities, like really there is never an opportunity that's too small because even, even being there and having, you know, what seems like a little impact to you makes a huge difference when you're a part of a team. Like that's what you're there to do is you're there to be a team player and you're there to help everyone out. So um, being available and then being, you know, being there to just work and not think that you're above any single other person and you're just there to be a part of the team. So, yeah. Perfect. I think that's great advice um, that we should take into our clinical practice, no matter what setting we're in. Um, Steven, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, talk to us and give such great advice and tell us a little bit about your, your experiences and um, your background. I thought your, your story of like how you applied to PT school first round and didn't get in. And then like that story of perseverance, you know, that's kind of why we love sports because it's also that perseverance aspect. So I really, really enjoyed your story. And again, thank you so much for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Thanks, Chase. It was really fun. Huge shout out to Stephen Coombs of the University of Chicago Sports Residency for sharing his experiences. If you've liked this latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.